good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Alvesan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Tweet Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. And you put a 225 in front of that number. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. There you go. I sure wish you would. We'd always love hearing from folks in baton rouge and all around the world exactly if you know the world code which is zero one correct there you go. That's all what, right well i've been told <laughs> i really hadn't had to call the united states that much from uh, from anywhere else yeah you know when i am out of the country which is not all that often the last thing i'm thinking of is calling back <laughs> <laughs> i'm trying to enjoy myself wherever i'm at there you <laughs> go but you give us calls 291-6901 put you right up straight to the top of the list get your questions answered and try to help you out the best way we can that's it and should you happen to miss your opportunity this morning Mm -hmm. after we go off the air or even next week at midnight you can always get your questions answered if you go to our website which is agcoauto.com that is a-g-c-o-a-u-t-o there is a contact bar on each and every page just click the button fill out the little form and send it on in there you go couldn't be easier well, it could be a little easier, but uh, I don't think we're willing to go that That's far yet. Right. <laughs> I'm not going to an answer for you. So. <laughs> yeah, always a valuable service for folks. And I get a lot of people who call in, and what they're looking for is some guidance, which is basically what I can provide. Correct. Occasionally, you'll get someone who calls in, or excuse me, writes in, and they really are asking for something that is not possible for instance, I wrecked my car. How much is it going to cost to fix right. it? Right. Well, there's no way to know that without yeah, no, putting your hands on the vehicle. Yeah, you kind of kind of waste your time sending that in because no one can answer that question. Or I've had my car to 15 different places, and they got da, 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 da. What do you think? Well, <laughs> again, you know, without some hands-on examination, sure. you're probably not going to be able to. But if you need some general guidance, so what what should I do next? Or my car did this. What should I do? How should I approach it? And all mm-hmm. that. And, you know, more and more I find that, the advice that I am forced to give is, well, you're going to need to locate someone who can check this for you. Correct. Because when I first started doing this radio show 24, 25 years ago, there was quite a bit more the average person could do for themselves. Sure, but today on today's vehicles, and there's hardly anything the average do-it-yourselfer can do anymore. Without a good deal of specialized training and even more specialized equipment and tooling mm-hmm. there's very 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 little you're going to be able to do yourself it's just the fact is it's going to be less expensive to pay someone competent to tell you what's wrong even if you choose to try to do the repair yourself it might be a way you can save money sure sometimes it is sometimes it isn't but without that you are probably going to spend considerably more money trying to hack your way through this. Sure, by throwing cheap parts at it or inferior parts, I should say. That happens an awful lot. And unfortunately, you can't tell the difference. Like in a shop, if, if we get a defective part, we can generally pick it up pretty fast. Sure. In fact, uh, a good example of that, we got a water pump the other day mm-hmm. for an Acadia. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I opened the box, I looked at it, mm-hmm. and it had fracture cracks all in the aluminum. Huh. So had to send it back and get another one. Right put the two side by side and you could tell that they were two different quality parts right and that's an oem pump. right so when you go with aftermarket it's, it's even way 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 worse right if that, that pump would have got put on and started leaking in yeah, two right, weeks right two months again. you'd have been doing that job over there you go hey let's take some of these phone calls we got michael online good morning michael good morning fellas i got a chevy pickup a 96 chevy pickup 1500 series and i got a brake problem with this thing it got it acts like a classic master selling the problem you put your foot on the pedal and it'll just slowly go on down and mm-hmm. 
Yep. I've changed the meth still a couple of times, and it makes a difference sometimes, but it never really got 100% like it should, and now it's just even worse than uh, ever. It just goes down a little bit too now, quick. Now, it slowly sinks all the way down to the floor, or is it just a low pedal and just won't get the high height of the pedal you need? It'll go all the way to the floor. Now, it always stops. You know, it, does, right. mm-hmm. it does go all the way to the floor. Yeah, most of the time we find on that, Michael, if it's not the master cylinder, it's that ABS control unit. Those gave quite a bit of problems with low pedal. I mean, those trucks... You said 96 model? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yeah, back around that era, the trucks just didn't have a really good pedal like they did prior to that or even since then. The pedal were always a little low. It stopped okay, but it was always a bit lower than what some of the other vehicles were. But if it's slowly sinking, it's probably one of the valves inside that ABS modulator that's bypassing internally. And what it's doing is just leaking from one side of the circuit to the other, just like it does with a master cylinder. And the way that you can isolate that, we've got some little hydraulic plugs, which is basically just like the little fitting that screws into the master cylinder, except without a line, it's a plug. And you can screw those both in to the master cylinder. If the pedal comes up rock hard and solid, then you know it's not the master. And it, by default, is pretty much the only thing it can be. Now, if you got hydraulic gauges and all that, you can go in and test that part. But, again, if you isolate that it's not the master cylinder, there's really not anything else that's going to cause the pedal to just slowly sink like that without losing fluid. I mean, right. you could be leaking at a caliper or leaking at a wheel cylinder or something, and the foot pedal might go to the floor, but you could lose a lot of fluid also. Yeah, you you no, didn't mention not. that, so I'm assuming that's not the case. No, I don't know. I tried that. I tried to block the master cylinder, but it's in the right plugs. But my question is, if it, if it got to get into the ABS, mm-hmm. is that going to be the nail in the coffin for this old truck? I mean, is that just going to cost me too much? Or is it's it, uh, pretty expensive, but, I mean, you know, what you're going to do, you can't buy another truck for what you can fix this one for. Now, it may be possible to bypass that ABS unit if you're pretty crafty or have a shop possibly do it. We have done that. We had a guy who had a 96 four-wheel drive, and that truck, from the day he bought it, just never did stop right. He just wasn't satisfied with it. And what we did is took and made up some steel lines, bypassed that unit completely, and ran straight brakes on it. Of course, didn't have any lock anymore, but he said the pedal was better than it had ever been before. You know, since then. On that particular truck, it was just the rear rear wheels that had the interlock the front doesn't right but and and again that's not going to be without some cost because you do have to fabricate lines and all that but it might be less expensive than buying that big unit now i also believe some people rebuild those units now you might check on that see if you can find a rebuilt abs unit if it comes to that i would probably run a test just to make sure you're not getting a batch of bad master cylinders i mean it's, it's not likely but it is conceivable fairly simple test could isolate that for you and if it is that unit, you might look into the possibility of maybe finding a remanufactured unit somewhere. I know there are some companies that reman them. Right. Well, what would be just a round figure? What that Man, would I just don't know. No I, idea. I, you just don't know. You'd have to check, see what you got, and do some call around, see what parts and all are. I just don't have any idea off the top of my head. All right, Pino. Well, thanks a lot. Okay, man. All right. All right, Michael. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive hour, we would love to have you. And we've got Tom on the line. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Lewis. How are you? Doing wonderful, sir. Okay, I have a 2007 Toyota Corolla, uh-huh. 100,000 miles, okay. and the air conditioning system has never been serviced, but it works adequately. It's not ice cold, but it works adequately. Mm-hmm. Now, does it need service? Like, does the tag oil ever wear out? No, does sir. Does the Freon ever wear out? No, sir. Not any of that. Now, it's got a cabin air filter, most likely, on it. I would have that replaced. Uh, oh, I've done that myself. Okay, well, great. About the only other two things that you can do, Tom, to make a substantial 
difference in the vehicle. Number one is clean the condenser coil on the outside. And that's relatively simple to do. You could take a garden hose or something, and the big looks like a radiator in front of the real radiator. Take and hose that out real well because dust and dirt and trash and stuff builds up in that over time. Okay. And that can decrease your efficiency quite a bit. The other, which would be much more difficult, is cleaning the evaporator core, which is the subsequent core that's under the dash. Sometimes you could take the blower motor out and get to it because a certain amount of dust and debris builds up in that as well. And cleaning those two coils is about the only thing you can do. You know, when they manufactured that car, they vacuumed it out really, really well, put the refrigerant in there and all that. And right. unless you get a leak, that's all going to pretty much stay there. It's, it's pretty much good for life. Really, there's nothing that any shop, no matter how well equipped, can do that's going to be as good as what the factory did. So I know some people who advocate going in, sucking out the refrigerant and putting new refrigerant and all that, but I don't believe that there's anything you can do in the shop that's going to be as good as what the original was. As long as it's cooling adequately, you might just verify that you do have a full charge in it because some will leak out over time. And... Right. As the charge gets lower, it works less efficiently. It also damages the system because it doesn't transport the oil and all like it should. So, I mean, to answer your question, I would clean the two coils. Make sure you got a good belt on it, a belt that slips slightly, a tensioner that wears out, which a tensioner, spring-loaded auto tensioner, if it has that, service life is about 100,000 miles. And when they get much beyond that, it doesn't put quite enough pressure on that belt, slips a little bit. That's usually what takes the compressor clutches out on them is that heat buildup. But okay. other than that, just enjoy it. I mean, I think you'll be good. I don't think there's really anything you can do preemptively. Some of them last 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, some don't, but a lot do. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah, that's what I was hoping you'd say. I thought, well, if it's if it's working adequately and I keep the condenser clean, right. you know, I haven't haven't done the evaporators a lot uh, trickier mm-hmm. to do that it one. Is. But change the uh, the air filter, the cabin air filter, mm-hmm. and and so it's it's working. So I think I'll just. Leave it alone right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, my pickup is an O2 model, so I guess it's 14 years old, and, I mean, it freezes you out. Same thing with my car. It's an O5 model, so it's 11 years old, and, I mean, either one of them freezes you out, and I haven't ever done anything other than the things we just talked about. Oh, okay, okay, that's that's wonderful. I, I, I like that answer. And okay. uh, a quick question about yeah. the CVT transmission. Uh-huh. Are they... Uh, given the choice between a CVT and a regular transmission, would you go with a regular transmission? I probably would, only because I tend to think repair, and long-term, a standard type of transmission can be repaired, whereas most of the CVTs are non-repairable. That means okay. you have to replace it as an assembly. But again, I've been accused of having a pessimistic outlook, but that's what you know. 50 years in the automotive repair business is going to do. I see only the problems. I don't see the guys who are happy with them. i got to say, overall, the CVTs are not bad since... You know, they were originally introduced way back in the 50s, and they were nothing but trouble, and they kind of dropped them. But right. when they came back this time, I don't know if the materials are that much better or the computers that control them enable a better operation or whatever. We don't see a lot of problems out of them. We do see some, and they have to be replaced, but I would say no more so than we see on regular transmissions. Oh, okay. So basically, if you change the transmission fluid, fluid regularly mm-hmm. and, you know, use the good OEM type. Right, use the OEM fluid. You should be okay. I believe so. Yes, sir. Oh, okay. Okay. I was just, just curious what your thoughts were on that. Yes, sir. Okay. Where, where are you calling from, Tom? 
I'm probably from Toronto in Canada. Okay, I, I, I picked up the accent. I wasn't 100% sure. <laughs> hey, we don't have accents here. You guys That's that. right. That's right. You know, that's funny. I was in New York one time, and I walked to this little pub, and everybody, where are you from? I said, I guess you know, because I'm the only one here without an accent. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I guess that's why you spotted me, right? <laughs> you got it. You got it. So, anyway, you're a fabulous show. Keep up the good work. Okay, Tom. I, I listen weekly on podcast. Well, great. Oh, great. Great. Thanks for calling, man. Okay, take care. Uh-huh. Okay, Bye-bye. All right, we're going to take a quick little break. Everybody hang on, and we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Man, I had a bad dream the other night. Oh, me too. I was abducted by aliens, but they weren't little green men. They looked more like a cross between a chicken and a gremlin. Like the 80s movie? Yeah, so they take me up to this spaceship and onto this theater stage, and in the audience sits all the cats of my ex-girlfriends, and they're just sitting there judging me. Even Mr. Piddles, who I actually kind of liked. Oh, uh, what was your dream? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO and my car broke down. Now that's scary. Hey, at AGCO Automotive, we know it's hard to keep up with maintenance. What do I do at 15,000 miles? What do I do at 75? We recommend an annual general inspection. Just pick a month and bring in the vehicle. We'll give it the once-over and can recommend any maintenance you may need before something causes bigger problems down the road. So did they take you to their leader? No, they made me watch a cat video reenactment of Steel Magnolias. It was horrible. Schedule your general General inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us a call? It's 291-6901. We always love hearing from you. Makes the show a lot more interesting. And sitting here listening to you and I <laughs> jabber back and forth. Uh, we'll do it. <laughs> we can do it. <laughs> we got an email from a gentleman, Lee. Correct. And go ahead and all right. He wanted to know about the cash for clunkers program that right. was they had a while back, and want to know if any of the good vehicles got taken out in the process of taking vehicles out, or was it just anything that come along? Yeah, that's a good question. And I recall at the time, seemed like that was back around 2009, 2010. I don't remember the exact date. I was thinking it was before that. No, it was right around that time period. Okay, but we covered it extensively. In my opinion in my opinion only, that was a totally politically motivated right. thing. I'm going to call it a scam perpetrated on the American <laughs> public, for lack of a better term. But I don't think it really did much of any good no. for the country or for the average taxpayer that footed the bill. But for those who don't recall, the Cash for Clunkers was a program where you could take your older car in and the government would subsidize the car companies to give you I think it was $4,500 Something, or was, so trade-in. And what they do is take the old car and destroy the engine in it. Right. Uh, drain it all out and pour this stuff in it that would uh, but, cause the engine to burn up. Destroy the engine and then give you credit towards a new car. And, of course, the cover story, I guess, was, well, it's going to help the economy. It's going to help the car company. It's going to help pollution. It's going to help right. all these different things. Personally, I think what they did is took a whole bunch of people's transportation they could afford, not only to afford to own, but afford to maintain, got rid of it, and put them into a real high-tech, high-dollar stuff to maintain, which is much, much more difficult on them. And we're seeing that now where all of these cars are now getting 8, 10 years old, and folks are coming in with them, and they're like, well, you no yeah, what, what can we do here? Cause, yeah, uh, we can't afford all this, can't afford to maintain this car, can't afford to keep it going. And... 
I think I remember reading somewhere they ended up spending close to forty thousand dollars for every car they were able to put on the road. Wow! I mean, you could just gave everybody a car. Oh yeah, yeah, and been a whole <laughs> and, lot and better you still off. Had to pay for them, but uh, yeah, I mean that's basically an example of our government's efficiency. You know, yeah. at, at operating out on a problem. All that being said, what it did do, it ran the price of used cars up. Oh, slam out of the market almost. Yeah, it went way up because they got rid of a lot of the cars that would have been good right. used cars on the market. They, they basically destroyed them, took thousands of them out. So those that remain, because people are not ignorant, they know how to maximize their benefit, and they know that these older cars provide a lot lower cost per mile. Sure. So everybody's scrambling around trying to get them now, which well, just now, ran the price exactly higher. And you can see that even today, long after the program's over, where a 1999 Toyota Camry with 200,000 miles still sells for $6,000. <laughs> yeah, well, look, I passed the dealership last night on uh, Sherwood Forest. Uh-huh. There's a used Jeep out front. Right. Must have been a 10, maybe a 9. Uh-huh. $20,000. Yeah. You're talking about a six-year-old vehicle at $20,000. Yeah, and that's because the cost of new ones went exponentially higher. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk a lot more about that in just a minute. Let's catch this phone line. We got John online. Good morning, John. Good morning. Timely topic. I just picked up. I'm calling you about a 2005 Suburban. Okay. That I okay. just bought used in Houston with 160,000 miles. Okay. I paid $7,500 for it. I know. Wow. Who, like, who'd have thought, huh? It, it runs like a top. There you, you know, go. It's and, and it's a lot cheaper so, than, than 70000 for no, a yeah, new one. for a 15. And, and it's paid for. That's right. Know, and it's in great shape. Uh-huh. So. Anyway, my question is regarding the power steering pump. When I bought it, uh, the pump had a whine to it, so I brought it home, mm-hmm. and the fluid wasn't really, really low or anything, so I went ahead, I, I sucked all the old fluid out okay. with new fluid, mm-hmm. cycled it back and forth, and the whine went away okay. for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And so now it's coming back. Yes, sir. And, you know, what, John, I can almost guarantee you what you're going to have is a line, a hose, that's leaking, not leaking to the outside, but sucking air in. In other words, you got a suction side uh-huh. and you got a pressure side. Uh-huh. What's happening is that it's drawing air into the system. Now, when you flushed all the fluid out and drained it and bled it, you got out all the air out of there. But okay. it's slowly drawing air back in. Now, there are a couple of spots where that normally occurs. Number one would be the, the suction side hoses. All of those at the reservoir, at the pump, at the and all of that. Right. Another source is the front seal on the pump. And there's when that seal goes out in a certain uh-huh. way, it can build pressure and it can leak out. But a lot of times uh-huh. it doesn't leak, but it sucks air in. Okay. So okay. you probably got, if you, if you take your little cap off after it's been running and look at that right. fluid, if it's all full of air bubbles. It was. When I, when I was trying to cycle it far to the left, far to the right, you could see the air bubbles coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 You're getting air into the system somewhere. I think what I would do, those. Suction side hoses are fairly inexpensive on that vehicle. I think I would replace the suction side hoses and be sure to use a good screw-type clamp where you can get it good and tight. If that doesn't rectify it, odds are you're going to be into the steering the pump. Uh, pump. But now, that does, does that have racket pinion on that one or is that steering box? It's it? a box. I've mm-hmm. never seen one of those suck air in. I've seen a rack and pinion do that, but I've never seen a gear box. They usually leak pressure when they leak. Okay. So I kind of doubt it would be the gearbox, but what's long-term catastrophic failure. If I the, the pump will fail because the air bubbles are kind of like a sandblaster going through and those little impellers on that pump are cavitating the pump. Yeah. yeah. Like a bake light type material. And right. it, it'll tear those little impellers up. The noise is the unit is straining. I mean, short term, if you can't 
get to it right now. I can't afford to do it. Do what you did before. Just drain it out, put some more fluid in there, and bleed the system. You can probably get most mm-hmm. of the air out, and it'll hold you maybe until you can get something done with it. Mm-hmm. Another question. Mm-hmm. I don't have any maintenance history on this vehicle at all, and I'm wanting to start from ground zero and uh-huh. change every fluid on there. Okay. We're in transmission, brake fluid, radiator fluid, that sort of thing. Okay, good. Any advice in doing that? Any issues the with that? Best thing you can do, John. Most of the ones you mentioned are fairly straightforward. Probably the most difficult one to do right, and that's the engine coolant. And that's the one everybody thinks, "Oh, I got that. That's no big deal." Mm-hmm. Go to my website, and there are probably ten articles in there on changing coolant properly. And that's one of those things that almost nobody does right. And when you do it wrong, you can create more problems than you solve. So mm-hmm. be sure you get the coolant done right. As far as the rear differential, some of them have a drain plug, which is easy peasy. The ones that don't, you can pull the rear cover off and just get mm-hmm. you a gasket. You know, just pull the cover, drain it, let right. it drip until all the crud comes out, put mm-hmm. the cover back on and fill it with 75W90. Not really mm-hmm. much of any way to go wrong with that. Even mm-hmm. bleeding the brakes on that one is not too terribly difficult as long as you never let it get completely empty and, and draw mm-hmm. air into mm-hmm. the unit. What you want to do is start out by sucking the fluid out of the master cylinder. And so mm-hmm. you start out with clean fluid. Fill it with clean fluid and then just start off on the right rear wheel, then the left rear wheel, then the right front, and then the left front. And put a block of some sort under the brake pedal where you don't push it all the way to the floor when you're bleeding. Oh, that's a good idea. I never thought about yeah, that. Yeah, what happens mm-hmm. is that pedal has yeah. not ever gone all the way to the floor in, in the right. 170,000 miles been driving. So there's right. going to be some corrosion built up at the end of that master. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. if you take and open that line, push the pedal to the floor, you can tear the seals mm-hmm, up in it, and then mm-hmm, you end up having mm-hmm. to buy a master cylinder. So something like a brick or a two-by-four under, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm, you don't want to mm-hmm. wildly pump the pedal. Just a single stroke, push it yeah. down, open the screw, you release it, let it up, and then wait about 10 or 15 seconds before you do it again. Then do it again, mm-hmm. and just slowly do that, and you can get all the, all the fluid out of it. I mean, mm-hmm. if you really want to get the ABS unit clean, too, you can go out, put it in a couple of ABS stops, find you some gravel somewhere or maybe a field with some grass in it, put it through a few ABS stops, and then come back and do it again, and that does a little bit better job. In the shop, we've got a scan tool. We can cycle those valves and get the air, get all the fluid out. But okay. everything else is pretty straightforward. Same thing on transmission service. You just want to make sure you get the right filter because that unit has at least three different filters it can use. It's mm-hmm. also got a seal around that filter that retains it to the valve body. That's one of those services, really, unless you just like doing it yourself, you could probably get a good shop to do that one for you cheaper than you could do it yourself. And there's just some little idiosyncrasies that they can make sure they get right for you. Right, and the, right. the thing okay. about that cooling system where mm-hmm. the heater hose is hooked to the heater core, there's a c- couple plastic quick connects right there. Over yeah. a period of time, those they do break. go bad and they yeah. get brittle. Yeah. So yeah. you might do yourself a favor while you got the fluid them. drained out. Go ahead and yeah. change them. Yeah, not hard change. No, they're I fairly. I think about that because mm-hmm. I've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. So oh yeah, there you go. go. Yeah, <laughs> those will break at the worst possible oh, yeah. moment and lose on all your coolant right. and overheat. Right in the middle of summertime. There right. you go. Yeah. yeah, right, right. Okay, guys, thank y'all so much. All right, John, you're thanks, welcome. Bye bye. All right, we're gonna take one more quick little break. We'll be right back and got a whole lot more. Got over half the show left. How about that? There you go. Give us a call. Oh, I had a bad dream the other night. Can't be worse than mine. I was buried up to my neck in the desert, surrounded by an army of prairie dogs, and their leader rides up. Rides? Yep. It's Yule Brenner, and he orders me to eat this huge mound of candy corn. So all the prairie dogs line up and feed it to me piece by piece. 
I'll never look at that Halloween confectionery the same again. Uh, what about you? Well, I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at Agco, and my car left me stranded on I-10. Now that's scary. Agco Automotive is here with the best way to keep up with car maintenance. Get our annual general inspection. You pick the month, we check out your vehicle and recommend any maintenance you may need, which can save you costly repairs down the road. That was a freaky dream. Were you on medication, or did you eat anything strange? Uh, yeah, I actually ate a whole bag of candy corn left over from Halloween. 2014. Oh. Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. You just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us a call, 291-6901. And, of course, we really appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. makes the show all a little more, much more interesting. There you go. All worth doing. <laughs> Let's go catch a few of these phone lines. We've got Jimmy online. Good morning, Jimmy. Hey, good morning. Looks like you're taking my call. You bet. I've got a 94S10 Blazer with 4.3. Uh-huh. I check engine light, service engine light. Uh-huh. I pull it up, you know, you ground it, plug in, and it's my EGR valve. Okay. Now, mine has a very expensive EGR valve. I get it for about 200 bucks. Yeah. What am I doing leaving that ended? What else am I uh, Jimmy, breaking up real bad, so I'm going to put you on hold. Kind of answer your question. First off, you want to make sure that it is the EGR valve because the code does not say the EGR valve is bad. It says it doesn't see enough flow. you got to be a mindful. It could be something like one of the passageways. It could be plugged up with carbon, which will set that code. It could be the sensor that reads EGR flow. It probably reads off the map sensor or something like that. So sometimes what you've got is like a bad map sensor, it commands EGR flow, does not see the pressure in the intake rise, so it assumes the EGR valve is bad and sets an EGR code. That's just the way the programmer wrote the code. Right. You can't ever take those codes literally. Now, if you are 100% certain that it is the EGR valve, then I would go ahead and bite the bullet and buy the proper one, the OEM Delco EGR valve, because the aftermarket stuff usually doesn't work out all that well. The ramifications of doing nothing, what EGR does Number one, it reduces oxides of nitrogen, which is a pollutant, which is maybe maybe not important to you. But the bigger thing that it does is it helps prevent detonation. And the way it does that is when the combustion chamber temperature starts to get too high, it floods exhaust gas back into the intake. Because exhaust gas is low in oxygen, it's not going to burn again, so it cools the mixture in the combustion chamber which prevents engine damage. You know, it keeps it. That's why the oxides of nitrogen go sky high, because when it starts to detonate, it produces that. So it can, by inferring that, it knows how the temperature is in the combustion chamber. So if you disconnect it or just leave it alone, you may end up with a big hole on top of one of your pistons that could have been prevented. So something you're going to need to address. Now, I forgot exactly what year you said it was. If it's a 96 or later, you would not be able to pass state inspection. 95 or earlier, I don't think they'll check that, so that's not going to be a concern. Another issue that I find, if, if the check engine light is on and you're ignoring it and something else happens, then you're not going to know because it's only one light. It's sort of like if your fire alarm at home keeps going off, so you just ignore it, but then your house catches fire and you end up burning to death because you didn't acknowledge the alarm. So it's just kind of one of those decisions you have to make. It's There are no non-essential systems on the car. I mean, in my opinion, it's very important. But short-term, you're not going to notice a whole lot of difference with it. It's just long-term, you could end up with some engine damage if you don't have it working. So 
right off the top, make sure that is the problem because you'd hate to go spend that money and change that valve and that not be the problem. But beyond that, that's a pretty good little truck. I've seen those things with 300,000 miles still running. be a shame to end up yeah. killing it for a for couple, an EGR valve. couple hundred dollar EGR valve. So good, good question. Sorry I had to put you on hold there, but your call was breaking up so bad I couldn't hear you. Let's go back to phone off. Jason, good morning, Jason. Hey, guys, good morning. I had a question about uh, my wife has a 2013 uh, Honda Fit. Okay. We've owned the car uh, since last November. We bought it used. Okay. It's been a great, a great little car. Mm-hmm. So far, so but it is one of the many cars with the uh, the recalled airbag. Uh huh. So right now, Honda has made a, a red car available to us, and we've had it. I think we've had it a week or maybe maybe two weeks. Uh-huh. So I guess my question is, what do we do with the Honda? It's just going to we signed a, a, a waiver. We can't drive the car, so it's just going to sit sitting in our driveway right now. And we, you know, how do we? What do we do with this car for? It could be as much as two months. And I've never had a. It's all the vehicles I've ever owned. I've never had one just sat. Mm-hmm. You know, more than a week at a time without driving it. Well, and that's so probably the worst possible thing you can do is just let the car sit. And right. when you sign the waiver, I'm sure what they intended was that you not drive the car as transportation because they are yeah. providing you with alternative. But I right, mean, right. in good faith, I think you could ask them. I don't think they would mind if you drove the car enough to maintain it because no one that would advocate just letting a car sit and sit and sit. Right. Yeah. That, they, that's horrible told- on it. They told us that de- definitely. It's more or less we we can't put the car to use in, it for uh, service. Yeah, where where we would become where we would uh, have a front end impact in Cor- collision or something. Correct, like that. So, and I understand that. And I mean, you could wanna, technically wanna, from a safety standpoint, if you pull the fuse on it, I think it will disable the ABS system. Excuse me, the uh, airbag system. And you just sure. have to wear your seatbelt because you're not going to have airbags. Certainly not as safe as an airbag car, but pretty darn safe i mean we had that for 100 years i guess yeah yeah uh i mean enough to where you could drive the car and just maintain it i mean i wouldn't put it in service and start driving it around because you signed a paper saying you wouldn't do that but right, that's kind of binding on us we it worried is. about that somewhere. well and from a liability standpoint if you were to get in a collision and the bag were to come out and hurt someone they would not be liable for it you would you'd be on your own so right. but i mean i i think reason has to prevail you can't just let the car sit for two months if you take and drive it once or twice a week for x number of miles just to keep it maintained i think everybody would be better off with that as long as proper precautions are taken okay well it has about thirty-four thousand miles on it so it's a low mileage car we mm-hmm. we had a you know we like the car and we mm-hmm. don't want it to, good to car. fall off in the maintenance early on in the uh right our ownership of it well yeah that, that's exactly right and i think you'd be wise to contact them and just tell them what you want to do but i don't see where anyone would have a problem with that okay all righty okay yeah fellas well thank you thanks okay so much. thanks for calling man bye-bye bye-bye all right 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive we'd love to have you and we've got herb on the line good morning herb good morning i told you a while back about that airbag on the honda ridgeline mm-hmm. found out the fuse pulling didn't cure the problem okay and, uh, I, you know they won't tell you what to do on you go on youtube or something other right. but you can ask them how to re- remove something else well you could probably take the airbag the module way. if you disconnect the airbag module it's not going to deploy yeah well then i found by looking to remove something or other part that i had to get the airbag out of the way for mm-hmm. they, in in the process they told me how to disable the airbag right, so, right. Uh, i pulled the battery Disconnect the battery, let it set for 10 minutes. Right. And then I unplugged the airbag that's got a little yellow 
plug in, right, and unplugged right. it. So everything else was supposedly it comes on and says uh, side airbag, something that's okay, you know, but it just says the little light is on. And I drove that thing to Seattle and back with mm-hmm. a wide loop, 7,000 miles in three weeks. And, right, uh, right. No problem. Yeah, so. that'll disable the one airbag. You just might be cautious because some of the others could still deploy. But I mean, worst case scenario, if you just want to disable, I'm sure you could probably unplug the module on. Well, I think it to. was, I think it was just the passenger side module. That was the only one that was a problem. Right, was the issue. Okay. And when you refer to the airbag module, that is the airbag itself. That's okay. considered the module. Right. So you can just un- should be able to just unplug that yellow connector on the orange cable right. and disable that one module. Mm-hmm. But it it did say. Wait ten minutes for all. Oh yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's got a capacitor. Well, in it's it. got yeah. What do you call a diagnostic energy reserve or capacitor, like Brian mm-hmm. said, and it can still deploy. That's in case you get in a hard enough collision to rip the battery out of the truck. It's going to still have enough energy to fire that bag. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You definitely have. And I probably I like to wait about an hour myself. <laughs> I just don't want to pop that bag out of somebody's right. car. So we generally unplug everything and give it an hour before we fool with them. Yeah. If you ever seen one go off, you you really get you have a lot of respect for, for it. Yeah. I also. You was about how that D three worked on the you know an automatic transmission, mm-hmm. but uh, I kept playing with it in the mountains and uh, found out you can just put it in D three and it will shift up to third gear and hold you going downhill most of the time. Sometimes I had to go to second, right? Uh, but going uphill, uh, as long as you kept it, watch your tack, you know. Correct. It didn't affect my mileage because uh, you know. No, you, not any substantial amount. You burn a lot of gas going uphill, maybe, but going <laughs> yeah, down, you, you get don't it back burn free. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of a net, net sum gain. There. Right. I average twenty one point five, and I I use that thing a whole lot. So anyhow, that's what I want to share. Okay, man. Thank you. All right, Thank you. See you later, man. Bye bye. All right, we're gonna take our final last little old break, and we'll be right back with more on the automotive hour. Phew. I had a bad dream last night. Girl, me too. I was out on a date with Matthew McConaughey. Well, that doesn't sound too bad. But literally, all he could say was, All right, all right, all right. Still, it's... In auto-tune. All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Over and over and over. Oh, it was a nightmare. What about you? I dreamed I forgot to schedule my annual general inspection at AGCO, which cost me thousands in repair. Now that's scary. AGCO Automotive's general inspection is the best way to make sure your car performs at its peak and you're not surprised by any major repairs. Bring your vehicle in once a year and we'll recommend any maintenance. We can even help decide if it's worth fixing or time for you to purchase another. My dream was scary, but yours was, uh, all wrong, all wrong, all wrong. <laughs> Okay, are you finished now? Schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alzan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you give us calls? 291-6901. We always appreciate your calls. And we still have a few minutes left to get your questions answered. Oh, absolutely. We got a break a little bit earlier than normal, so right. we got a lot of time left. <laughs> Go ahead and give us a call. You're always the, the guy the glass is half full, right? That's right. I'll, just, just the way I am. I'm an extrovert, and I'm a positive type guy. There you, you go. <laughs> yeah that's uh that's funny i we were out last night and there's a couple in there from texas and of course i started talking to him and he goes why is everybody so friendly i said well everybody in friendly <laughs> yeah and uh so well, you always in such a good mood the guy standing there goes, yeah he is <laughs> <laughs> i said well why wouldn't i be you know <laughs> but yeah i got a reason not to well you, 
there are folks who kind of go through life with the glass half empty and I yeah might as well enjoy it and well, it. you're here anyway so well, a guy told me one time says people like that don't live so long it just seems like it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny yep let's go back to our phone lines. george good morning george good morning Lewis. hey man brian good morning when I tell you what I have, you might recognize me. I have a an 82 F-150. Okay, sir. And a 97 town car. Yes, sir. And I saw an article Thursday in the Advocate that said that more and more gasoline containing 15% ethanol mm-hmm. is being forced on the market. They're trying. Right. Right the, now they're 10%. The automakers have pretty much held the line up to this point. In fact, they were they were proposing 20% ethanol, which is yeah. totally foolish to me. Even when gas wasn't, or oil wasn't $50 a barrel, right now it's ludicrous to even try anything like that. But yeah. even when that wasn't a factor, it, there's so many reasons not to do it. Uh, most of the automakers came out and said, hey, you do that, we're going to avoid warranty every car sold in the United States. So I don't know. It'll play out as it plays out. I think the only thing we can do is when you vote, make that an issue. Yeah. Nobody's really addressing it much, uh-huh. but certainly well, not, the, not a good idea. This article also pointed out that fuels with more than 10% ethanol are illegal to use in engines that are older than the year 2000. Well, I don't know that it's illegal, but it's not a good idea. And really, even on the later model engines, it's not a very good idea. The biggest things with ethanol, in my opinion, is that, number one, it contains about 33% less energy by weight than gasoline does. So yeah. when you go to 10%, you lose 3.3% of your mileage. Oh, yeah. If you go I to, understand that. Yeah, you go to 20%, you're lose 6.6% of your mileage because there's just less energy in it. Right. Not only that, but it takes more oil to make a gallon of ethanol than you save because yeah. by the time you figure the tractors and the combines and the fertilizer and all stuff to grow all this corn to grind up and make fuel alcohol out. of, you're, spending, you're burning more petroleum than you are saving with the stuff. And, well, I mean, it's just kind of a ludicrous idea. I guess maybe the farm lobby has a strong voice, and, and they're wanting to – but, I mean, you start making fuel out of your food, it, it has all kinds of other implications as well. Why do we want to make a really bad fuel when we've already got a good fuel that's in such abundant supply the price is dropping? Now all the, all the governments are now screaming and crying because they're losing tax revenue because the price of all is too low. I mean, I don't know. It, this poor old world. <laughs> well, I guess my dilemma is that I need a good, reliable source of gasoline with no ethanol in it, and I, I don't know where you can find a good, reliable source. I don't source. either, because every one that I've seen that purports not to have the ethanol is generally going to be one of these little kind of a private label kind of stations, and I'm just a little concerned about the right. quality of the fuel you're getting right. there. They don't, right. they don't move enough fuel. Well, through the I wouldn't worry about it right now, George, because they have been talking about this literally for the last five years that I know of and has not come to fruition yet. So, I mean, it may not ever come. It's one of those things where they want to scare people and shake them up. But yeah, I don't know that this is ever going to really happen. Right. If it does, we'll just have to deal with it when it does, I guess. Yeah, well, since I saw this article on Thursday, I thought I'll try to find out where they still have just the 10% ethanol rather yeah. than... The- well, currently, yeah, currently everything out there is going to be 10 or less. And right. we've tested a lot of the fuel, and it's really most of it's around 8% uh-huh. because they allow you up to 
ten percent. You can't yeah. see ten percent. Most of what right. we're testing in the Baton Rouge area is somewhere between seven and eight percent. Well, so, even with ten percent, and I don't know if this is the cause, the the ethanol is the cause, but I have replaced, I think it's four fuel pumps on that F one fifty in about the last five years. It's probably a factor in it for sure and what happens with ethanol particularly on older vehicle like that is that was a steel tank it was galvanized but it's still steel so it's prone to rusting whereas Uh the newer vehicles have nylon tanks in them so they don't have that problem because you start putting alcohol in something it's it has an affinity for moisture Oh, sure. So the moisture and particularly a vehicle like your truck where you don't drive it every single day that moisture Uh tends to build up if you keep eating fuel pumps, chances are you got some rust in that tank because yep. the rust is what takes the pumps out more so than the ethanol does. Uh-huh. And once you get that rust built up in there, you can put a new pump, but it's not going to last very, very long. Uh, okay, then. Well, I just wanted to see if if you had had heard that the E15 was more prevalent now. Than- I haven't seen any of it yet. I'm sure things being what they are it may be a problem in the future but it may not yeah, i wouldn't i yeah. wouldn't sweat it too much till it happens okay well listen i need uh i need a new set of michelins on that truck okay they're 20 years old and oh, they've goodness. got thirty-five thousand miles <laughs> on them. so uh, i'll i'll be calling you about that all right miss george okay thank, thank you, you sir all right bye-bye bye-bye, bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive we always love hearing from you that is one of those things that, in my opinion, is not only stupid, but almost criminal. Right. Because what they're doing is really upsetting a whole lot of nice people who really have more things to worry about than this. Than this. Yeah. And I don't know, why don't they just leave the daggum thing alone? <laughs> well, I mean. I mean, I have seen report after report after report, and I have seen no good come from this. Even most of the proponents of the ethanol initially are starting to back off. Right. So, well, this maybe wasn't such a good idea. Right. What they're finding now is that the pollution levels around farmland is going higher because all this extra fertilizer and all to push this corn production is running off into the groundwater. Sure. Running off into the streams and stuff. They're burning more fuel to try to produce it than they're getting out of it. It produces a whole new bevy of different pollutants and stuff. Well, and not only that, but they're they're trying to get more and more mileage out of the new automobiles, right. they got a cafe standard they got to come up to. Right, and this is doing nothing but and killing And this is it. killing them. Yeah. So it, it's kind of defeating the purpose, in my like opinion. to me, if they go to 100% gasoline, they'd be better off. Yeah, they'd get more miles per gallon. Well, that's it. Let's work on the efficiency of the vehicles. If you want to save gas, kind of the good win-win sort of thing is as you make an engine more efficient, not only do you generally make more power, reduce the pollutants, but you also gain fuel mileage. Sure. Most of the same things that does one does the other two. So that's a win-win-win for everybody. So if we took one-third of the energy we waste on all these harebrained schemes, <laughs> you know, feel-good schemes, right? put it towards improving the efficiency of an internal combustion engine. Because I remember reading somewhere, I think they said most internal combustion engines are only about 20% efficient. Wow. So 80% of your energy is being wasted in the form of heat that's just going nowhere. Right. You know, why don't you figure out a way to recoup this heat, that heat, turn and- that back in energy. I mean, how much heat's going out that exhaust? Man. A, a lot yeah i mean that's just pure energy that could be utilized to drive the car do all kinds of other things and of course they come up with all these harebrained hybrids and electric cars and all this stuff that do very little other than make the car a whole lot more complex if they just spent that much engineering time trying to make what they got better right 
then I think they'd be a whole, whole lot better off, and then everybody wouldn't be worried to death about how to get the old car to go down the road, you know? <laughs> but then again, you know, I don't make those pop well, above my say, pay grade. Yeah, so. there you go. <laughs> Let's go back to the line with Sid. Good morning, Sid. Yes, uh, you keep talking about replacing tires that are more than six years old. Yes, sir. I've got two things. My motorcycle mechanic, who is very good, mm-hmm. says that when a tire gets that old, mm-hmm. the rubber gets hard, and on a motorcycle, it does not corner as well. The, the softer rubber grips better than the yeah, old. Yeah, I would, I would probably agree with that. There's a tool called a durometer where you can test that. We've had occasionally people will come in with a car that doesn't stop well in the rain. You can test the tire, and some of them are hard. Some are just made hard and all that. But, yeah, the rubber does get harder. Uh, also, the chemicals and stuff, and the adhesives that hold it together start to break down. Right. My son lives in Arizona, mm-hmm. and it's 115, 120 degrees out there. Mm-hmm. And low humidity, you don't feel all that hot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But his girlfriend was coming back from Phoenix and had a tire separate, mm-hmm. right? an older tire separate. And the uh, state police came on TV and said, if you have tires older than six years old, replace them because you're very, very likely to suffer this uh, tread separation. Right. Oh, yeah. There's tire. been a lot of fatalities on that account. I know 60 Minutes did a big program on it several years ago, and it got a lot of publicity, but it kind of dies down when people don't talk about it every day. But, yeah, that's one of the things we always check on vehicles that come in for general inspection or pretty much pretty anything Pretty much anything else. that comes through the door, we at least look at the date and age of the tires. And we won't service a tire that's older than six years. I won't rotate it, and I'm not going to do anything with it. I just tell you, hey, your tires are outdated. And if you want to roll the dice, I mean, I can't stop you, but there are more people on the road than just you. So right. it's one of those things that, yeah, I'd like to see addressed a little stronger, but Again, I can't make that determination. I just advise everybody to change them out. I, I, I changed mine out. What I'm saying is that there's two cases where older tires just aren't getting it. Mm-hmm. So there you go. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. See it. I appreciate it, man. All right. There you go. That's one of those things we hadn't talked about in a while, but tire age is a big, big issue. And, you know, I see a lot of times, this is particularly a problem with used tires. Right. Uh, new tires, it can be a problem, but used tires, it can be an extreme problem. Because when you take the tire off at a shop, a shop may pull them off because it's six years old. Throw right. them a scrap pile. They may still have eight thirty seconds a of A lot of rubber on them. Well, some yahoo on the tire truck sees these, oh, these are good tires. So he pulls them out and sells them. And then you end up with a dangerous situation on the road. That's, that's why, why we start destroying ours. When we take a tire off that's more than six years old, we stab the sidewall on it. I've got a patch a drill for uh, putting patches and plugs in. Mm-hmm. We'll take and drill right in the sidewall three there or four go. times right there around the numbers, mm-hmm. the DOT numbers. Right. That way, when they pick it up to look at the number, they see the holes and they go to the trash. That's right. It, it just kind of preempts a problem. Because I've heard people say, well, I'm willing to take that risk. Well, that's yeah, fine, but, but you can't take that risk for that minivan with the young family in it. Exactly. And you cross the center line when your tire blows out and you hit them and kill them. That's not a risk you can assume. To save $200 a tire or yeah, whatever, or whatever it is, amount may be. It's just part of the cost of driving. You just got to, you know, driving is not a right. It's not a God-given right. It doesn't say in the Constitution you have the right to drive. It's a privilege, and with the privilege comes responsibility. Correct. And part of that responsibility is, is maintaining, maintaining a car in a safe condition. Correct. And tires are definitely a big, big part of that. 
Well, I see we are just about out of time. we got to start backing on out of here. Tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, get some more people listening. Use your favorite service, whether it be Stitcher or iHeart or iTunes, iTunes whatever it is. Go to the written Review. portion of the, the survey. Fill it out for us. There you go. Give us a review, and that'll help to move us up in the ranking so more people can get us. Hey, preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.